Hello, and welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. And I'm Joey Boudreaux. And we are so glad that you are tuning in. Thank you so much. And Joey, one of the things that I get really excited about is when we get new people joining our team, people who just want to help us save lives. I have a donor mom who just joined the team, and she said, I don't really know what I can bring to the table, but I'm thinking I can do this. I have a Facebook page. Can I help? Well, absolutely. She's going to help us spread the word, and we hope that you, listening, help us spread the word, too. Absolutely. Spread the word. It's really easy to find us. You can look us up on iTunes, but any of your favorite podcast apps, or just go on lopa.org slash podcast. Yeah, it's that easy. And then a lot of the things that we talk about, you'll see on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages. So look us up there as well. Donate Life Louisiana. We want to give you as much information as possible. We hope that we educate you and we hope that we prompt you to have those healthy conversations about donation. We want to save as many lives as possible and we need as many partners as we can. Today on this episode in the news, we will be talking about essence. It was power packed the party with a purpose? How did Donate Life fit in? We'll fill you in. And in our recovery segment, Lori, we're going to talk a little bit about direct donation and really its impact and one of the one of the big stories that made national news. Yeah, and in our community segment, we always talk about, Joey, one person making a difference. Well, one person and the rest of the family getting together, man, what an impact that can have too. We'll talk about it. And in our technology segment, we'll talk a little bit about Transnet, which is a new technology that's been used in shipping companies, but it allows a better labeling and transportation of organs. We'll also pause to say thank you for the gift of life to one of our amazing heroes. Plus, we'll take your questions and answers. Yeah, all that and more right here on The Gifted Life. In our new segment today, Joey, I am so excited because we are still basically on a high from the Essence Festival in New Orleans. What a party. That was a big party. There were over 200,000 people that attended this year. It was, it was amazing. And party with a purpose. They always say, the yes, community organizers, it's community focused, which is one of the reasons why we are always there. Another reason why we are always there is because of this hot mama here, Miss mm-hmm. Cheryl McGee-Hill. She is a community educator in the New Orleans area and make sure that we are where we need to be to be able to save more lives. Are you recovered from this party with a purpose, ma'am? No, I'm still <laughs> recovering. So, so tell us about it. Take us in. It was fun? It was absolutely amazing. You know, meeting people from all over the United States, seeing people you haven't seen in a long time, and again, party with the purpose. We work hard, but yet it's a good time sharing the news about organ donation. All right, so Joey, she said she worked hard. We know because every year we come away with new people joining our Louisiana registry saying yes to organ donation. Do you know how many... Cheryl and her team were able to sign up? I'm sure it was a lot because I heard it was a a good turnout. Yeah, Cheryl? It was a great turnout. Drum roll, please. We had over 300 people sign up. Solid. Solid, yes. Imagine, Imagine the lives that can be saved just because of a few people who are out there spreading awareness. So you were out there. You had new volunteers. You had volunteers who have been with us for a while. Tell us about it. Well, this was a great year because not only we had one booth, we had two. And going in there concerned about uh, volunteers, I was just amazed our seasoned volunteers and then yet our new volunteers. 
years. And then calling back this week saying, you know, we want to be part of it next year. But hearing the stories of the heart recipients, the kidney recipient, the liver recipient, the lung recipient, if there was any doubt that organ donation is a gift, just look at our volunteers. Just amazing. Amazing. And and actually, um, you talked to some of those out there, brought that audio back so that you can share with our podcast audience. So let's take a listen. We're here at 2015 Essence Fest, and live here today we have Beverly and Keenan Shields. Keenan received a heart transplant a couple of months ago, and Keenan, we just want to say thank you for being out here with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am uh, a New Orleans police detective for 20-some more years, and uh, I experienced heart heart attacks beginning right after Katrina. Within uh, a a year of being treated at Ashna, I was placed on the transplant list. Okay. Finally, I wound up receiving a new heart January the 25th. So right now it's um, five months post-transplant, yeah, thank God. We are faithful, we are God-fearing people, and we know that God is going to provide all our needs, and we've been standing on Him, and we continue to stand on Him. We're glad to have you as part of our LOPA team, and I tell you what, why are you here volunteering today? It's very important for me, actually me, myself, my wife, my family, that people actually know and learn how important it is to become an organ donor, how they can actually make a difference in someone's life by becoming an organ donor. Um, A lot of people are just not educated on it, so I want to do my part, we want to do our part in giving back. And it's nothing like, nothing beats giving at all. We're at Essence Fest today. My name is Sharon Raymond, community educator with Louisiana Oregon Procurement Agency. And we have set up our booth at the Essence Fest. And we are here today with some of our volunteers. And I have with me today a heart recipient. Could you tell us your name? Amanda Moore. And how long have you had your heart transplant? I've had it for six years now. So you look top notch, 100%. So how are you feeling? I feel great. Tell me, what made you decide to volunteer with us today? Well, I've been coming to some of the meetings and stuff, and I, I feel like I should give back. And I feel honored to just help out and inform people about organ donations. Great. Have you ever been to Essence before? No, this is my first time. Okay, well, we're in for a treat. Who do you have with you today? I have my mom with me, Erica. She looks like she's a great support. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. I'm glad to see you all, too, out here today, and we thank you so much for coming out. Wow, some amazing stories. We appreciate you bringing that back to us, Cheryl, so we can just have a a piece of what was going out there at Essence Festival. But I understand that these stories and more helped you make some real connections. Made amazing connections. You know, Keenan Shields had been a police officer for over 22 years, um, four heart attacks, and there he is out there sharing his story and getting more people to sign up. It was amazing because looking at him and not knowing his background, people were just brought to the table. Mm. I want to be an organ donor. Amanda, another heart recipient, very quiet, but... When you ask her to share her story, that brought even more people. 
to the table and answered a lot of questions and cleared some of those misconceptions about organ donation. So I really appreciate our volunteers, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them again next month at our meeting. And it's just great for LOPA and the community and hold to have that connection, not only with mm-hmm. Essence, but our volunteers. And, and Cheryl, to add to that, I, I bet it must make just the biggest impact on those that may be on the fence. They, they see organ donation's a good thing, but it's still a scary thing, you know. And to be able to put the faces right in front of them and, and knowing that Keenan just a few months later is doing well, quite well, has to make a big impact on them saying yes to donation. Well, and we always say it takes one person, one person to make a difference. Well, you saw that how many times out there? Countless. Uh, countless times, countless yeah. times. Yeah. And not only having Keenan, but we had six recipients on one day. Yes. And um, thank you. You could not yes. deny yes. that, that uh, life is precious. Mm. Thanks a ton to those recipients that came out and volunteered, and, and especially thanks to Essence, not only for letting us take part in the festival, but they featured us twice in the magazine this year, and it was very, very special of them to do it. Their commitment to, to meeting the needs of the, the, of the community and ultimately saving more lives is just so huge. And I would love to be back in our same spot next year, but yeah. thanks to Gina Montana, uh, she's been with us, a partner from the beginning with Essence, and um, she's always looking out for us to make sure we have the right spot, uh, loading our material in. And Gina, thank you for everything that you do at Essence, and we're looking forward to 2016 experience with you. Thank you, Gina. We love our partners, and thanks to you for all the hard work. We know Sharon was out there as well. Thanks to all those volunteers who said, yes, I'd like to volunteer. And look, this was a fun event, but Cheryl, as community educators, we know more fun events to come, right? We're always looking. Always looking. (laughs) Calling all volunteers. So if you haven't taken the step to volunteer, you can go to our website, lopa.org. Lopa.org. There is an orange circle that says volunteer. Fill out that information no matter where you are in the state, and it will get to one of the community educators that serves where you live, the closest place to you. And we will tell you what's going on, how you can help. No pressure, right? We try to make it as easy as possible, possible, as fun as possible. Right. We're looking for you. Looking to hear from you soon. All right. Well, thank you, Miss Cheryl. We appreciate you. It sounds like you had a blast. I had a blast. And you made a difference. Joey, we have reached the recovery segment here on The Gifted Life. And I mean, I was just inundated with things on my newsfeed, right? It was this cute little blonde girl, cherub cheeks, uh, just the cutest little thing. I have three little ones of my own. So when I see little babies, like always pause to Mm -hmm. look at them. And so I see this little girl and then you see the caption underneath that says died, but helped after death. And so I'm, you know, I'm really fascinated by this. And um, all my friends are talking about this cute little girl. Did you see this girl on Facebook? Mm -hmm. Did you see this article? Did you see what happened? And so all these people who probably didn't know about donation clicked on this article because of that sweet little girl's face, Olivia. And then they learned not only about donation, but more about processes and the processes just amazing one little girl one little girl and we have talked about uh, direct donation uh before in a previous episode and and in the story it kind of brings it to life so we have uh jessica roth on the line she's the clinical services manager for nebraska and she and the nebraska team played an integral part 
in this story and in making this transplant donation happen. Uh, so, Jessica, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Hi. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit. Can you share your experiences about the story and, and about what you guys did to help facilitate? Yeah, you know, this uh, opportunity came to us actually in the end of May. The hospice group actually out in uh, North Platte, Nebraska, reached out to us. They told us the story of this little girl who was suffering from an inoperable brain tumor. And her mother and father was very interested in potentially helping others uh, through donation. And um, it started out more of just an information search, um, looking for more information on donation donation opportunities and how that would all unfold. A couple days of having conversations and, and speaking with the actual the physician that was uh, caring for Olivia um, and then her whole hospice team, we did actually then um, speak directly to Olivia's mom, Larissa, who in turn asked um, very good questions. She had done quite a bit of research on her own about donation and really felt like this was something that would be very good for uh, their healing process, um, knowing that Olivia was not going to survive this illness. So in talking about the donation options, it really started out more about kind of tissue donation, heart valves, uh, corneas, and um, research. And Olivia's mom at one point did ask, is there a reason why we can't do organ donation? And of course, all of us had assumed since she was in hospice and um, not expected to survive that there was no plan to ever escalate cares to a point that she would be on a ventilator or a breathing machine or anything of that sort to um, prolong her life. So we explained that to Olivia's mom, and at that time, she had stated that, asked, well, what if we did reverse the DNR and did decide to go ahead and um, intubate her and put her on a breathing machine when it came that time? Of course, that was a little bit of a shock and took us all back for a moment, and uh, we did then uh, reconvene with the care team and and discussed um, that, that situation and those options. And so kind of worked through that over the next week, course of week, week and a half uh, with the care team. Uh, The physician that was um, heading up the hospice care team was really, I mean, she was instrumental in kind of laying the groundwork and working with the hospital staff to understand, you know, why the, why the parents would want to do this and how important this was to them and, and really um, making sure that nobody had any kind of um, reservations about it. And so we really just uh, followed along with um, Olivia and through the hospice care team, we did join them on, on Thursday mornings. We, they would have a actual um, care meeting and kind of update everybody on her status. Um, and then we would once a week touch base with Olivia's mother and get an update on her status. She then in the middle of June, I believe, end of June, um, she did go on her Make-A-Wish trip uh, uh-huh. to uh, Orlando. And that's when she, you may have read in the article, she was yeah. on the cruise, right. the Disney cruise. And um, the one thing that she really wanted to do was kiss the dolphins, yeah. swim with the dolphins. And so she did get to do that. Um, we received a call that afternoon that her status had um, drastically changed. And actually she had become unresponsive and was in the... Um, the intensive care unit on the boat, on the ship. It did then um, port the following day, and we received a call then from, um, I believe it was Orlando Regional, the children's um, unit there. And at that time, we had reached out to LifeLink in Orlando, 
and told them of the situation and passed all the information on to them. We really did not believe that she would be able to get back to Nebraska. But we wanted to make sure that Larissa and her husband's um, choice for Olivia to be a donor was realized. Two days went by and actually uh, LifeLink out there and then the hospital worked with Disney and Make-A-Wish Foundation and did uh, make arrangements for her to be life-flighted back to Nebraska. It was very important to her family that she was a donor here in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. We obviously collaborated with the whole team through that whole situation. And my team, I put together a team of a family support coordinator and then a clinical coordinator and then myself. And we actually were dedicated to this whole case the whole time. And so my coordinator and the family support coordinator did meet Olivia then at the hospital when she arrived on Sunday by flight. So, and Jessica and Larissa. Uh, her mom had already uh, come across stories of of children who needed life-saving organs for transplant. So didn't they come to you guys about a direct donation? Yeah, actually, shortly after Olivia arrived at the hospital in North Platte, her father actually rode, rode with her, and then her mother took a commercial flight and arrived at the hospital, oh, probably a few hours after. Once everything was kind of uh, settled in place and we had a, a chance to um, huddle with the entire um, hospital care team that had been put together, including uh, the parents, at that time, Larissa brought up that she had connected um, with a family who had a small child, a two-year-old, I believe he is, who was desperately in need of a liver. And she had hoped that Olivia could donate her liver to this little boy. So we discussed uh, direct donation at that time and let her know that there was a few things that did obviously need to happen. Um, one being that the, the blood types needed to be compatible. And um, secondly, size and the physician would need to accept Olivia's liver as, as a appropriate match for this child. So we immediately uh, got some of the information and did reach out to Pittsburgh and let them know what was going on, gave them uh, the information about Olivia, and, and then kind of left, left it in their, in their hands at that point. They were going to take it to their, obviously, their transplant surgeon um, and the parents and, and kind of discuss everything on their end that would need to happen. In the meantime, Olivia actually at this point was not brain dead. So a couple extensive conversations had taken place as far as how, I guess, Alurisa and her husband wanted um, this to happen and timing-wise. And so that was really a key component to this whole situation um, because we weren't sure if we were going to do donation after cardiac death or if we were going to be doing a brain dead um, uh, donation. So the uh, the care team and ourselves did reach out to uh, a neurology group actually at our local children's hospital in Omaha and um, just really asked some pointed questions about um, Olivia's condition, looked at the, C- the MRI, the CT scan, and wanted to be sure that brain death was going to be um, a potential in this situation. They did feel that she was progressing that way and that it would happen fairly soon. So Larissa did uh, and her husband made the decision to wait for brain death to occur. And that declaration happened then that following Wednesday. And so everything as far as the direct donation and even the donation process kind of halted and was put on hold through those three days that we waited. Once the uh, brain death declaration was done and uh, uh, we were able to start the process, and so we did uh, touch base again then with Pittsburgh at that time, and that's when they did accept uh, the liver for uh, Lewis. I mean, wow, mom and dad, to yeah. know about donation, to want donation, 
and for this little girl. I mean, this this precious little girl. And but then look at the teamwork too right. that goes in to making life happen. I mean, I'm sure this was a rare case, right? Yeah, you know, this situation was very rare, especially coming, you know, starting out in a hospice situation. I don't think that we think oftentimes that donation, you know, can come from that type of patient population. Um, But also to explain kind of the logistics, this is a small community. It's Mm -hmm. more of just a community hospital. So they have a a smaller ER and a, a very small ICU, but they actually do not keep pediatrics typically. Um, they, they would actually, you know, transport to Omaha to our children's hospital. Mm-hmm. The hospice doctor was really instrumental. Um, she went to a few select physicians, including one of the anesthesia uh, physicians there in the hospital, and really got them on board and kind of made the her care team, and then we had our team, and then we collaborated together. Um, and so they typically weren't even experienced in taking care of a pediatric population. Everything that's, just kind of, well, with a lot of effort, but fell into place Yeah, well, it's, family. And that's the thing. It's She hit the, the, she, the nail on the head when she said collaboration. Usually we're thinking of the logistics just within one mm-hmm. area. And here you're, you're talking about Florida, Nebraska, mm-hmm. and Pittsburgh. So to have, you know, basically across the United States, all of these collaborations that have taken place and the logistical hurdles that that, that had to be crossed because this mom was determined, you know, and she, she wanted her daughter to, to save lives and, and, and have a legacy. And, and she knew, you know, that direct donation was what she wanted and, and she wanted to donate what and a mama. What a mom. Yeah, and, and what an yeah. effort by you guys. I have to, to you know, applaud you guys for, yes, for going the extra mile to see this through. You know, it's it's really amazing listening. And I thank you very much, Jessica, for taking part in our podcast and to be able to give your side of how you guys were able to help in this wonderful story. Oh, definitely. Um, You know, to be quite honest, the impact that this little girl had on everybody, there wasn't a moment of hesitation in anyone that was involved in this. And when we needed something or they needed something, people bent over backwards um, to provide it. So um, I think it speaks volumes to the power of what we do and how others can help. I think another thing that we can pull from this story is that Olivia was only three years old and look at the lives impacted from this one precious child. Um, So young, but look at the impact that she made. So, you know, we talked about Lucas, the two-year-old, but she saved other lives as well, right? Yes, um, amazing. She she actually helped four people. Um, Her heart was also transplanted, her intestine, and then her kidneys to one recipient. My goodness, what a story. You've probably seen her face on, on um, Facebook or social media. I think she's helped us reach folks that wouldn't have even given donation a second thought. So uh, look what she's able to do at three years old, a little hero, Olivia. Now, Jessica, if anybody wants to um, learn more about what you guys do, where you guys are, that kind of thing, how can we reach you? Um, we are on Facebook. It's uh, Facebook uh, slash Nebraska dot donation. Um, and we also have a website, anydonation.org. All right. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for what you do. Thank you. All right, Jessica. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Joey. Okay, Joey, you know, we're out and about in the community because we focus on education. We want folks to know as much about donation as possible. And uh, my feeling is we can sit there and throw facts and figures and all that at people all day. But I think they really connect 
with our stories, right. faces of donation, right? right? Uh, well, we have a special family that really, they, and they do this together, and they try to save as many lives as possible by honoring their hero, Mickey Fazio. So joining us now by phone, we have Monica Fazio. Hi, Monica. Hey, Monica. Hey, Lori. So Monica is a mom of Mickey Fazio, a hero. We'll also be talking to Caroline Fazio. She is Mickey's sister. Hey, Caroline. Hey. And we appreciate you guys joining us, and we appreciate all what you do. And we just want to let folks know how easy it is to kind of get involved and to honor those heroes and to save more lives. So we just want to first start off by talking about Mickey, which I know you love to do, guys. So tell us about that that beautiful boy, please. Well, Lori, he is, he, he's our child out of five that um, just was always the one that had everybody laughing. No matter what our crisis in our house was, Mickey could always make, you know, make light of it. So um, it's been a very big missing link for us not having Mickey here. We just had a five-year anniversary of Mickey's death on the 5th of July, and it is you know, it seems like it was yesterday, but it was a, you know, I look back and go over how fast and slow these years have gone because, you know, he's, he was just such a huge part of our family and, uh, you know, the kids missing and God knows mom and daddy just have lost half of our hearts right. with this child. But the morning of Mickey's death, I mean, this is how how he would do things. He comes into my room and he had a nosebleed and um, he somehow made horns with toilet paper coming out of his nose and um, we were all just dying laughing. I mean, he just, then I said, you know, Mickey, seriously, your dad is the ENT. I think you ought to maybe go outside and let him look at it. If you can't, you know, if it won't stop, let him look at it. You might need it cauterized or whatever. And we were in the process of having our roof redone uh, with slate, so they had all of this scaffolding all the way around our home. And within probably maybe four minutes of that child walking out of our home, um, we heard this massive crash, which truly shook our home. And um, the other, my other four kids, we were all upstairs. We were like a slight, we had two staircases and two were going down the front and two went down the back and we couldn't get out fast enough because we thought we didn't really know what had happened. And by the time we all hit the same spot, you could hardly get to our pool area because a massive limb had fallen out of um, an oak tree and uh, engulfed our pool area and absolutely engulfed the bottom of the pool. So we were climbing over limbs and whatever, trying to get to my husband, who was, you know, he had been hit with the tree, but just cut up from the limbs and and, um, some of the brush. So he looked at me and he goes, where is Nikki? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I didn't see him. And and Caroline goes, mom, he was right on side of you. I find so we knew, we didn't think any more about it. We got Frank, and we were all trying to climb over this to get back in and get him cleaned up. In the meantime, Caroline and James, um, our youngest, went upstairs to see if Mickey had gone upstairs. They thought maybe he had gotten cut. And they came down running, and they said, well, Mom, he's not upstairs. And I left Frank in the sink washing himself off, and I just started running. And I went around another way, and I saw um, Mickey pinned under the tree. Uh, in the bottom of our swimming pool. 
And um, so I started screaming, and somehow I had my cell phone with me, and I'm dialing 911 screaming, and everybody's running out. And uh, Frank, our oldest one, and my husband, and Tori jump in, and how, I will never know, but somehow they were able to unpin him and get him up onto the side of the pool and start resuscitation. And um, um, as hard as we worked, you know, EMS got here and loaded him up. And, I mean, they worked and worked. And um, and then they moved us up to ICU where um, Dr. Scrantz came out and um, um, said, you know, that Nikki probably sustained a tremendous head injury as well as being under, you know, being underwater, and that he really just did not think that uh, that he was definitely brain dead. And really, kind of that's where the story begins because you have to make decisions. And my precious angel, who when he went out there to drive, he get his driver's license, put that beautiful red heart on his driver's license. But I am sure never thought anything about it. And God knows we never talked about it. Frank and I made the decision fairly quickly that Nikki was such a giving person. He helped anybody, everybody that came along. So it really wasn't a whole lot for us to, to make the decision to go ahead and donate what we could get, what they could use of Nikki. I know you said the the five year anniversary just passed, but I remember when you first started speaking, and I know it's still emotional for you. But you say speaking and, and honoring Mickey, um, you know, helps you and your family heal. And I'm just amazed at the place that you're in right now to be able to tell this story because I know that it's going to help save lives, and I think you know that as well. And it honors your son, too. I'm just in awe listening to you today. Well, I have to tell you, if it were not for you, and I'm not doing this just because I'm talking to you, I think I I spoke maybe when it was maybe not quite six months after Nikki's death, and I was determined that I was going to do this. And it has brought me down a healing path that I've, I've shared with so many people that I don't think for, for any of us, we would be where we are today if I had not done this. Mm-hmm. It is a, um, it's a healing, but to know that there's a little sweet piece of Nikki somewhere out there, this world is a better place. And I just wish more donor families could just give themselves a little bit of time and be able to get out there and realize you can either take this beautiful life that God sends us, and when he calls us back home, you have the option to be able to honor that person by letting those organs save someone. And what an incredible, I think there's just no greater thing that you can do to honor a person than to be able to save a life for someone. And I look, you know, for us, we've been able to follow so many of these precious stories little Savannah and of course Wendy and you know we've been playing so hard for little Briggs but you do you it becomes like a little family but right. it it has helped us probably heal more than anything that we could have done I, I was telling Laurie I did go uh, sometimes people go oh I just you know I don't know how you can do that or why do you do that you have to relive that or whatever but for me 
it's all about getting out there and not just promoting organ donations, but teaching people that it is the right thing to do because when you bury your loved one, those organs are just dry rotting and they can actually save someone. And that's the thing people just, you know, the education is so incredibly important. And I tell you, since we have started, it's just, you know, it seems like it's just blossomed. Laura, y'all have gotten out there and, you know, it's With just getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying y'all have... You know, y'all's little group that y'all have, um, has, yeah, with all the different um, events and different things that y'all have going on, you know, even if it just gets that one person, right. and that one person gets another person and another person, and it, that's, that's how things get done. But I truly, um, a friend of mine did ask me, you know, why? Why do you do it? And I said, because I have to. And um, I know that he is up there just grinning from ear to ear. Monica, I'm going to stop you because, Joey, we really want to talk about what the Fazios have been helping us do in the community. Not only do they give presentations, and as you can tell, it's pretty emotional, pretty powerful. So for in front of an audience, they really capture that attention, even if it's the teenagers, that kind of thing. But then we kind of take it on the road, too. Right, right, we do. And and we talk about, and she touched on, you know, how much impact one person can make. And they are making that huge impact. And and Caroline, he he was— you know, Mickey was part of a fraternity, uh, and this fraternity has been honoring Mickey. And can you talk a little bit about what they've been doing to, to honor him and his legacy? Oh, yeah. Well, every year that they design a fraternity, at LSU does a blood drive, and Lopa comes. And so it's such an amazing thing to see not only a school, but it's like a small community come together, mm-hmm. whether it's to donate blood to help save lives or to sign up for organ donation and to honor Mickey. And being his sister to see all of those people support something is just an amazing thing to see. And um, I know that one year we were out there and you guys brought Mickey's truck out there, which brought back a lot of memories. But even if we mention something, Joey, we say, hey, um, we're thinking we need a, a life-size license that we can bring to these classes and get these <laughs> kids involved and that kind of thing. And Monica said, okay, I'm on it. And then, like, I think it was like the next week, right? We had a design wow. done. We had it done and delivered. Okay, she doesn't mess around, this family. So um, we just appreciate the work that you do, and we um, hope that donor families out there, recipients, um, hear this story and that they choose to volunteer, get involved in some way, shape, or form. We try to have lots of events and try to make it as easy as possible, and we just appreciate the work that you guys do and the time that you dedicate not only to honoring Mickey but to saving other lives. Thank you all. Well, we sure do. Thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Caroline. Bye-bye. Today, we are talking about an electronic tracking system as part of our technology segment that helps us save more lives. And this is pretty cool because this is like real-time tracking. Right, it is. We've taken a page out of the playbook of the shipping company's industry where they use the barcode technology to be able to track things. You know, so, you know, the clinical coordinators on the recovery side can actually 
put a barcode on the blood tubes or on the packaging for the organs themselves so that we can then in turn keep track of it in real time to know exactly where it is at all times. You know, when it leaves the operating room, when it arrives, you know, say if it's flying on a fixed wing flight or, or when it arrives to the uh, transplant center. Because as we've talked about before, it is such a time-sensitive industry. Right. Every minute counts. So for, for the transplant surgeon to be able to look and see, you know, we've got this code for, for this, you know, say for a liver that's coming, and for them to see that it's only, you know, 40 minutes out and they can start their procedure on that end, every minute counts and lives are going to be saved. So it's it's a new project and it's it's been spreading through each of the OPOs. Uh, we expect to be using it soon as well. Mm-hmm. You know, but but before you know it, all the OPOs, all all of the organ recovery agencies mm-hmm. uh, throughout the United States will be utilizing the Transnet system, and and we look forward to it. Love me some technology, real time tracking, but the bottom line is saving more lives. Yep. Joey, we have come to that point in the podcast where we kind of pause and. We want to honor those heroes, and that's one of our, our favorite segments, I think, each time we get to it. And earlier in the podcast, we talked to Monica and Caroline Fazio, and they told us about their hero, Mickey. You could just hear the love. Yeah, they, they had such a passion in their voices, that especially when Monica was talking. You can tell, you know, her face was lighting up mm-hmm. as she's telling us the stories about him before and then about how much he enjoyed life. And it's just amazing to see um, her progression and Caroline's mm-hmm. progression from when they first started talking because they both said, okay, this is the fifth year anniversary of his death, right? Well, when she first started and she said, you know, she was very nervous. She didn't know what to expect. She didn't know what to say. Um, and now she has such healing in it and, it, and there's meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. But when she first came, we were doing a presentation, and we were at the fraternity house that he was part of, Theta Zai, and she was so tired when she showed up, and I was like, Monica, you know, I was just thinking, man, this was very emotional for her. Well, she wanted to have the perfect presentation for her baby, Mm -hmm. and so she found every picture that she could find. And she put it on these, like, push boards, you know, mm-hmm. those push, those wooden boards, and you push the pins in them. And she just wanted everybody to see how full of life he was. So there was, yeah. like, a prom pic, a family pic, a crazy pic, you know, how yeah. you guys take all these crazy <laughs> selfies <laughs> and stuff like that. And he's in his truck looking cool, you know, and then there's one he's acting crazy with his sister and his brother and those kinds of things. But it was just, like, this picture of this handsome boy uh, doing all all these things in life mm-hmm. and never knowing, you know, that he would one day be a hero. So she showed up with this huge board and then another board and then mm-hmm. another board and um, she brings those around. But that really helps her connect with her audience, no matter if she's mm-hmm. talking to kids, high schoolers, um, adults, because they see that face, they see those big brown eyes and they know that he was loved and they know that he's a hero. Because after they hear Monica's story, they know for sure. You can read more about Mickey Fazio at Lopa.org, Faces of Donation, and other heroes as well. So check that out. And if you know of a hero and you want us to learn more about them, send it to info at Lopa.org. But at this point in our podcast, Joey, um, let's go ahead and pause. And we will just want to say thank you to Mickey Fazio for the gift of life.
We have reached the question and answer segment here on the Gifted Life Podcast, and we always love when you send us questions, or maybe you saw something that you want us to talk about, or there was just something that's been in in your brain and you want it answered, and we try to do the the best we can here. Uh, The question that came in to info at lopa.org, Joey, when someone is a living donor, who pays for the donor's surgery? Well, Laura, that's a great question, and I've gotten it too. The recipient's insurance company actually pays for both, of course, the transplanted side and the donor side in these cases. So so the recipient's uh, insurance company takes care of both sides of the costs in these situations. So it doesn't come from the donor's insurance company. All right. And there you have it. You know, we get questions about all types of donation. We want you to be able to have those answers to help spread the facts. Info at lopa.org if you want more. This episode has come to a close here on The Gifted Life. Um, we do want to thank our speakers who took the time to help us learn today. Absolutely, Laura. We, we want to first thank Cheryl McGee-Hills uh, you know, for talking to us a little bit about the Essence Festival and, and doing so much mm-hmm. for the community mm-hmm. there. And uh, Jessica Roth out of Nebraska Organ Recovery to share that fascinating story about Olivia. Mm. And then Monica and Caroline Fazio enlightening us and, and sharing Mickey's story with us. Just some cool volunteers. Yeah. We love it. We we thank everybody, and we hope that you enjoyed this episode as well, and we hope that you share it too. You want to know how to get involved? Well, uh, we're ending July, getting into August, which means school will be starting. I paused there just to hear the groans from across the state there. But we work with the teachers, and we become part of the curriculum to talk about organ donation. So if you want to have us in your classroom, we're very flexible. We work with you. Um, So if you know of a teacher, your student goes to a certain school, you want organ donation in that school or in that classroom, lopa.org slash speaker. Fill out your information. That'll go to the nearest community educator to you, and we'll get in touch, and then we'll work together to make life happen. Thank you for listening. Remember to spread the word. Do something today that you don't normally do to spread a little awareness. We hope you have a good one. We'll catch you next time here on The Gifted Life. Life.